Hey, lovely friends. Welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a PYP Teacher. I'm Lou Gerlach from Think Chat. Welcome to confession number 72. Today, we're going to take a look at the relationship between the learning environment and play. And a funny happened while I was getting ready to record this podcast episode. I accidentally was clicking, you know, all over the place as we do. And we don't play, pay attention, right? All of a sudden, Google Maps pops up. And it had been so long since I've used the app within Docs. It showed that I was located in Awarka 2 near Murta City Center in Dubai. And I was like, what? What's going on here? And I had to chuckle because all of a sudden this connected with our topic. And you're saying, what? What does this have to do with the relationship between learning environment and play? And it reminded me of a traditional classroom setting where students sit and get, right? Or the teacher puts them together, but they're still sitting and getting, right? And if we don't allow our learners to play with materials and ideas on a regular basis, what's going to happen is they're going to make um, generalizations about the world that are out of date, like my maps. And they're going to you know, get information that's not relevant to their current situation. That was six and a half years ago that I was um, in that location. And it, it floors me even that my computer can't update itself. And if my computer can't do that, think about our poor learners, right? Just think about that for a minute. And this past week, I had the most amazing journey. As you know, um, I have been doing a PYP restructure for a candidate school in the eastern part of the U.S. And what's been fascinating to me as I'm going through their collection of so many goodies that just hasn't been curated right? And what's been curated, but it's the old-fashioned way of Dewey Decimal. And what's really been interesting to me is how this learning environment is shaping how we play with the space, right? Now we have multiple entry points of where children can go to research and cozy corners and my gosh, when a library is stagnant and traditional, the children are going to be that way. They're going to come in, check out books. They're going to see a sea of books that don't have any relevance. Well, I'm here to change that. And what's been amazing is as I was going through this collection and curating a professional development corner for the teachers, I came across a book that I think is worth getting. It's about $5 on Amazon US, but it's used. So, you know, it's a little out of date, but it's called Classroom Spaces That Work. It was written by Marilyn K. Clayton and Mary Beth Fortin in 2001. You heard me, 20 years ago. But then it really made me think. Their book was all about responsive classrooms, about making learning spaces work for learners, designing it with all learners in mind. Think about that. This book was written 20 years ago, and it's now just coming into fruition. So that tells you how long educational reform takes. We have to be patient. But we're on the cusp of so many great things. And I think the pandemic has pushed this 
um, even more forward. So I apologize in advance that this episode is not probably what we're normally used to. And it's more based, I would say, on my prior observations and experiences than actual strategies, right? With other educators, my own classrooms. And it did make me stop and think about learning space design so much. I'm like, oh, I just can't tell you how much I love this topic and how it's grown on me more and more and how I didn't realize that I was a master designer as a teacher. I was always curating experiences, right? And I didn't even know it at the time. And now that I'm taking a step back through the lens of a coordinator and through the lens of a, you know, consultant, I'm like, wow, you know, little things make a huge difference. So when I'm thinking about that relationship between learning environment and play, it reminds me of that chicken and the egg argument. Which one comes first? Do we need a well thought out learning space designed to bring about play? Or does play shape the way the learning space is designed? Hmm. Which way do you look at it? Because that's going to greatly determine which way you design. And me personally, I think it's a little bit of both. We can have a wonderful learning space design where no play occurs. And to me, this is the ultimate travesty when we have a beautifully designed space, so much potential, and we miss the boat. Have you seen a classroom like this where learners are clustered together in desk sets of four to six each? They work together to complete tasks. And from an outside observer, everyone is, you know, collaborating, everyone's dynamic, engaged in discussions. But when you sit and you listen and you observe and you take that deeper dive into the learning situation, you notice that not all the learners are working together. They're often engaged in lower level thinking, completing worksheets or tasks that were copied out of a reproducible book. And to be honest, friends, this is not play or proper collaboration. And over the past, I would say six months, this whole idea of the learning space design and collaboration through play has really resonated with me, especially during the pandemic and post-pandemic. What's it going to look like, right? And what I've been really fascinated with is this idea of the difference between cooperation and collaboration. Do you know the difference? Because someone pointed this out to me and it really made me think, cooperation is when people come together and they work together, okay? That sounds nice, doesn't it? But when you think about the difference of collaboration, that's when a group of people come together with a shared goal to solve a problem and or create new ideas, completely different. And have you worked in some cooperative groups as a teacher versus collaborative groups? You know the difference. You know what it feels like when it's a chore 
rather than a passion. You know what it feels like when people's ideas and feelings are not considered. It's just to get something done. There's a massive difference. And when I think about this whole process, right, of collaborating in a group to, you know, solve this problem authentically and create new ideas, it's so game-changing, especially when you think about how does the classroom design in bring this about or stop it from happening. That's huge, right? And I think the reason why it's such a gray area, this concept of play and learning design, is because a lot of teachers use the words cooperation and collaboration synonymously when designing their learning space. So, Question, do your learners cooperate or collaborate on a regular basis? And to me, this is not, of course, the only learning space design out there. There are classrooms where learners are working together to solve open-ended tasks. But the teacher is guiding the outcomes and the processes the entire way. And on the surface, this may look learner-driven, right? Because the teacher is always one step ahead of the learners, answering questions. The groups are, you know, are working together. They're actively engaged. They're not working on a worksheet. But guess what? The teacher has basically told the students what to do, what's the outcome, and how to think, basically. There's no room for students to share their perspectives. And to many, this may seem better than having learners cooperate on group projects that we talked about before, where they're cooperating, right? Working on worksheets. But honestly, I think it's worse because it's so frustrating for your true learners in your class. Imagine being told you're working on an open-ended project with your team. You get to create and you get to do, because that's what open-ended means, right? And you get so excited. And then you're told, no, sorry, it's all hemmed in. You're going to have this pretty little package. I'm going to tell you how to solve it. I'm going to tell you how you're going to share it. And I'm going to, and if you don't do the way that I want you to do, then I'm going to grade you critically. What a missed opportunity for the learner to demonstrate some agency. And so when I think of play, I focus on how to get my learners to collaborate effectively using the design thinking process. Was I always doing it this way? Heck no. I have had classrooms like the last two because that's part of growing and developing as a PYP practitioner, just a a teacher in general, right? And as we learn and grow, we experiment and feel more confident in our practice. And so if you have a classroom like the other two I've mentioned, don't lose heart because you're on the way. You're listening to this podcast trying to make yourself a little bit better. And that's so important, right? And so when I'm thinking about design thinking process, what I love about it 
It's a process that shows learners how to value the ideas of each member. They authentically listen to each other. And then they get to the root and define the underlying issue that's stopping the problem from being solved. And then they come together and generate some out-of-the-box ideas they've never even thought of before. And they create some sort of prototype or some plan that they're going to use, and then they evaluate the process. Now, that right there is what real life is like. As an engineer, as a business person, heck, as an educator. So it's so different than merely coming together to complete a task. Design thinking requires us to take a huge leap of faith because we don't know what the kids are going to create because it's based on their abilities to design their own process and their product. And it is not easy, my friends, especially when we as teachers are the biggest control freaks out there. You know, it's true. Don't even try to hide it. But there is hope for us, right? Every little bit, we get better. And when I think of my optimal, my dream classroom experience, if I were going back into the classroom, I want the learning space to be fluid. I want some places where children can stand and work. I want children to be able to have flexible seating, but I also want the work to be fluid. I want that learners can move about the classroom and use a wide variety of materials because once again, they're labeled, right? But they're also able to go amongst different groups and say, hey, I've got this idea or we have this idea as a group, but we're struggling at this part. You have any ideas over here? And then exchanging feedback and feed forward because that's real life. Think about it. How many times have you walked down to a teacher friend, a colleague, and you go in their room and say, you know what? I'm designing this unit at engagement and I know that we've been this is our learning target. I'm really struggling to get from here to here. Do you have any pointers? Do you have any strategies that I can use? That's what we do, you know, when we are being collaborative. So why don't we model that process for our kids? Because that's, to me, the heart of play, tinkering with ideas. It's more than playing with manipulatives. And a lot of people think play is reserved for three to six-year-olds. But I would contest that if we allowed more children to play with ideas and materials and just got out of their way, we would create the next wave of innovators that we haven't seen in more than 100 years in the world. And I think of the country that I come from, where so many innovations came from our culture. And because of, it was a time of creation and there was space and it was honored for someone to be an inventor and innovator. And where has that innovation spirit gone, right? In education. And so I'm an advocate of claiming it back. I know. See, I told you it's all over the place today. But to me, it's more about this idea of, getting kids to play with ideas on a conceptual level. So they're 
able to transfer that to new learning situations. And I know it's not easy, but I guarantee you it's worth the effort. Come along with the play journey that we're going on next, my friends, and let's see what we discover along the way. I'd love to hear some of your ideas. So post on my social, Twitter at ThinkChat2020 and uh, on LinkedIn at Lou Gerlach, L-U-G-E-R-L-A-C-H. I would love to hear some of your ideas and some of your questions. Have a wonderful day, my friends.